his house to order, and I ask the Honourable Peter Primrose to resume his seat immediately. No. What are you going to do? Order. What are you going to do? You're not. I'm trying to give the call to your leader. Take your seat. The the former president. Order. You are not the president. Order. You are bringing this house into order. Order. You are bringing this house into disrepute. Order. You are putting bringing this house into disrepute. You are. And that's certainly what you're done. Sit down. The leader of the opposition. Mr. Clark, I have the call. Leader of the opposition. There is a motion before the chair. I will read it out once more so we're all clear on what it is. I have moved. Well, what you have just seen and for my podcast listeners heard were the voices of Labor, Greens and some crossbench members of the New South Wales Legislative Council. In extraordinary and unprecedented scenes on Wednesday night, a cabal of politicians orchestrated the ousting of Premier Gladys Berejiklian's pick for President of the Upper House, Natasha McLaren-Jones. Now, Christian Democratic Party leader Reverend Honourable Fred Nile and One Nation's Mark Latham supported Natasha McLaren-Jones and the Premier. As you can see, she was treated shabbily after she took the President's seat following legal advice to the government and the clerk that she'd been elected properly on March 24. That result was not accepted by Labor and the Greens and other crossbenchers who were looking to score a cheap political shot on the Premier. Later on Wednesday night, they further humiliated McLaren-Jones in a no-confidence motion before she was replaced by Liberal Matthew Mason-Cox. He's since been expelled from the Liberal Party. The whole episode has been a grubby disgrace which only served to bring parliamentarians into further disrepute. Welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. That was my introduction to New South Wales politics, having moved to Sydney this week to take up my role with the CDP ahead of transitioning to that very parliament at Reverend Niall's retirement in November. Coming up on the show, Christian heritage to be expunged from the school curriculum. That's the advice from Canberra bureaucrats. I'll analyse Prime Minister Scott Morrison's excellent speech repudiating the radical left's attempted takeover of our nation. And in this week's interview, we head across the ditch to talk to Family First New Zealand's Executive Director Bob McCroskree about the ban on smacking children. 13 years on, are kids better off? Are they better behaved? All that plus much more on today's show. Thanks for being with me. Well, was this Scott Morrison's finest hour? Last week at the United Israel Appeal Dinner in Sydney, he gave the most important speech of any Australian Prime Minister in the post-war era. Now, I know that's a big claim, but given the seriousness of the ideological sickness afflicting our nation and the West, I think it can be substantiated. While the Chinese Communist Party menace is a clear and present external danger, our cultural decline, if not arrested, threatens to bring us down from within. Now Morrison struck deep at the heart of our illness. He correctly diagnosed the cancer as entitlement mentality, identity politics and cancel culture. The resultant social and moral corrosion was aided and abetted by the misuse of social media, something he rightly described in another context as the work of the evil one. But Morrison didn't just dwell on our problems. He gave us some golden keys reminding us of the timeless and now sadly unfashionable truth that morality is the indispensable ingredient of free and democratic societies. For decades, morality has been a dirty word, but it simply means the difference between what is right and what is wrong. 
Now, that of course can be up for debate in a free and democratic society, and of course it should be. But the idea of morality simply cannot just be scrapped. Morrison reminded us of another timeless truth, which he said was the foundation of morality. Take a listen. At the heart of our Judeo-Christian heritage are two words, human dignity. Everything else flows from this. And seeing the inherent dignity of all human beings is the foundation of morality. It makes us more capable of love and compassion, of selflessness and forgiveness, because if you see the dignity and worth of another person, another human being, the beating heart in front of you, you're less likely to disrespect them, insult or show contempt or hatred for them, or seek to cancel them, as is becoming the fashion these days. Challenging words for all of us who are engaged on social media. Now, in an age where totalitarian impulses are coming to the fore and restricting freedoms, even in Western countries like Australia, Morrison said that human dignity was the essence of morality and that that is what restrains government. To emphasize the importance of freedom to uh, uh, freedom, uh, a moral citizenry, Morrison quoted the great 19th century French student of American democracy, Alexis de Tocqueville. Have a, have a listen again. Liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. Again, a hard truth for cultural elites who reject the Almighty and his truth claims. But postmodernism, with its you have your truth and I'll have mine uh, philosophy, has proven a recipe for chaos. We can't all be right at the same time. Last week's audience was Jewish, so it was apt that Morrison's speech was based on his reading of the, the late British Jew, Lord Jonathan Sachs. Sachs draws on the Jewish idea of covenant as the way to bring free individuals together in the bands or bonds of trust that make up community. Human dignity drives the right uh, treatment of our neighbors, forming a morality which underpins liberty, which in turn makes community possible. As Morrison warned, today's danger is an expectation that the state will take care of everything. He repudiates identity politics, which is divisive and sadly drives too much of the public discourse. We must never surrender the truth that the experience and value of every human being is unique and personal. You are more, we are more individually more than the things others try to identify us by, you by, in this age of identity politics. You are more than your gender. You are more than your race. You are more than your sexuality. You are more than your ethnicity. You are more than your religion, your language group, your age. All of these, of course, contribute to who we may be and the incredible diversity of our society, particularly in this country and our place in the world, but of themselves, they are not the essence of our humanity. Now, the ramifications of this speech are far reaching. Its thesis based on the timeless virtues which gave us our freedom and made us great, flies counter to the current narrative coming from our universities, the ABC, and those driving our education curriculum. It was ironic that on the same day Morrison delivered this brilliant speech, that the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority, ACARA, recommended junking our Christian heritage and ancient Greek and Roman history 
from our kids' classrooms. They want this in favour, they, they want to favour a, a more anti-British invasion day telling of our past. Morrison's speech is the signal to cultural Marxists that their long march is to be reversed. As the ACARA recommendation shows, our cultural institutions are well and truly colonised by identity politics. They are populated by elites who believe it is their duty to ruthlessly cancel fellow citizens uh, who have wrong think and that they think it's their job to indoctrinate our children. Reversing this long march won't be easy, but if the things Morrison has learned from Lord Sachs and the Christian Bible are true, the future of a free, prosperous and harmonious Australia depends upon the turning of the tide. This has been Morrison's finest hour as PM. He has laid down some clear markers. For a politician who is known more for his pragmatism, this is a welcome and necessary shift. It's up to all of us now to get behind him, to have his back, because the radical left will resist this vigorously. Well, finally, our nation is waking up to the danger of the Chinese Communist Party and its control of critical infrastructure. The Morrison government recently tore up the Victorian Premier Dan Andrews' Belt and Road Agreement with the CCP. Uh, that's an instrument that the regime in Beijing is using to make smaller nations subservient through debt trap financing of infrastructure such as roads and ports. But more needs to be done. In 2015, the Northern Territory's then country Liberal Party government signed a 99-year lease handing over the port of Darwin to the CCP-controlled uh, company Landbridge. Here's what Landbridge says on a video which the Australian newspaper accessed via the company's Hong Kong website. And I quote, Landbridge Group follows the one belt and one road to the world so that the world can feel the speed and strength of Chinese national enterprises. In future, Landbridge will continue to actively respond to the call of the state, take the initiative to undertake major national strategic mechanisms, always adhere to the national interest and strive to become the most influential multinational enterprise group on the eastern coast of China. But it is not just the port of Darwin in our far north under the control of the CCP. A CCP-controlled company owns 50% of the port of Newcastle here in New South Wales. It's the world's biggest coal port and the largest port on the Australian East Coast. Here's Peter Jennings from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute responding to a question from Sky News host Chris Kenny. Uh, you believe that it's dangerous, uh, it leaves Australia vulnerable to have China half owning that port? Absolutely, uh, and a raft of critical infrastructure besides. Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of foreign investment decisions that were taken in the 2010s that I think this government and future governments will have to unpick because the, the bet they made on China becoming more like Singapore, more open, uh, easier to deal with, has turned out to be wrong. Uh, China has become more authoritarian, more aggressive, more difficult to deal with. And I, I think it is going to become untenable for us to say that a significant part of our critical infrastructure, not simply ports, but a large part of the electricity grid, the gas network, and other areas besides, can, next, can now be in the hands of companies that see their ultimate loyalty as having to rest towards the Chinese Communist Party. Now, Christians, Falun Gong practitioners and Uyghur Muslims have always known through bitter persecution over decades of the CCP's authoritarian streak. 
It's just that the rest of the world, having been deceived now for so long by the CCP, is waking up. Notice that Peter Jennings mentioned other critical infrastructure like electricity and gas. Here in New South Wales, Energy Australia, which has 1.7 million customers, uh, that's also outside of New South Wales, but a lot here, is owned by China Light and Power Company after being sold off by the New South Wales government for $1.4 billion in 2011. We need to find a way to take back our critical infrastructure. Well, it's been 13 years since the New Zealand government defied a referendum of its own citizens and banned the appropriate non-abusive smacking of children. That's right, New Zealanders voted to keep the wooden spoon for toddler tantrums, but their left-wing government decided it knew better than the common sense instincts of its own people. Now, let me be clear, no one supports the abuse of children and that is not why most parents seek to reserve the right to occasionally smack a child as part of a suite of disciplinary measures as they seek to raise good citizens. So how has New Zealand done with this social experiment in banning the smack? Is there less child abuse? Are children less violent towards one another and their teachers at school? Are parents being criminalised for smacking their kids? Earlier in the week, I spoke to my friend Bob McCroskery, the National Director of the lobby group Family First from Across the Ditch, or the Dutch. Okay, well, joining me now is the National Director of Family First in New Zealand, uh, Bob McCroskery. Bob's an old mate. Bob, great to have you on the Lyle Shelton Show. Hey, good to be here, Lyle. It's good to get some Kiwi common sense on your program. <laughs> Mate, uh, we need it. And common sense is something you do very, very well. Bob, you've just done some research into a topic that's a little bit controversial, the smacking of children. And this comes uh, many years, I think about 10 years after your government banned the ability of parents to appropriately discipline their children. We're not talking about abuse, but to, to smack their children when it's deemed appropriate. Um, just give us the background on that and what your research has found. So the law was passed in about 2007. Um, I mean, Helen Clark at the time, the Prime Minister, said she didn't want to ban smacking because it would defy human nature. Uh, but they still pushed it through because they wanted to send this message uh, that, uh, you know, violence against children was unacceptable and we had, had unacceptable child abuse rates. So we agreed with that latter aspect, but we didn't agree with um, and teaching on, on parents who were raising good kids and were using non-abusive smacks. Um, what, what, what evidence, Bob, did they have at the time that parents who who did use non-abusive smacking, uh, that, that that was leading to the abuse of children? What, what was the rationale there? No, it was just an ideology that if uh, basically you can't, I can't come along and smack you in the head even though I'd like to. Um, <laughs> But what they failed to understand, you know, so just for our audience, there, Bob is, was joking and would never smack me in the head. But I just thought I need to clarify that, Bob, because non-abusively, um, non-abusively, thank you. But but uh, what they what you know, so they always talked about, you know, you can't do it to an adult, so why can you do it to a child? But the problem is you don't tell an, an adult to eat their peas or when they go to bed or they can't go to a party or what clothes to wear or, you know, there's, there's a, a special parental relationship. So they ignore that. And, of course, as you know, you can find research that agrees with you on anything if you look hard enough. And the problem was that a lot of research on this area lumps together uh, non-abusive smacking, uh, uh, you know, smack on the bum or the hand with completely out of control, angry rage 
And yeah. then they say, well, the consequences are the same, so therefore we need to ban it all. Uh, the fact of the matter is, as you know, a good telling off can become verbal abuse. Um, putting kids in time out can actually become neglect if you just leave them there for, for 24 hours. You know, this whole withdrawing of privileges can become abusive. The research actually shows that every parenting technique can become abusive if the parent uses it wrongly. So you come back to the type of parenting. So then we did a referendum. Uh, we managed to get 300,000 signatures, forced a referendum. 87% of New Zealanders voted against the law. The government held a review and ignored basically the referendum. That was John Key. Uh, and so for the last, uh, what is it, 13 years, we've just been monitoring if the child abuse rates and the prosecutions and what's been happening with the Ranga Tamariki, the Child Welfare Agency. And, and what we found is that um, since the law was passed, nothing has improved. In fact, it's got worse, more notifications to state agencies, more serious child abuse. But also you're starting to see a bit of a trend around children's mental health. And the other concerning aspect that we're finding is we're starting to see a lot more violence in schools. And so uh, a school principal uh, who goes to school is 12 times more likely to be a victim of violence from kids than you or I, you or I are today. So this, this is yeah. extraordinary, Bob. So let's just get this straight. Um, when they passed the law 13 years ago, there was no evidence that parents who exercised appropriate discipline of their, their child used non-abusive smacking, that there was no, no evidence that there was an epidemic of children being abused by parents seeking to discipline their children in this way. Fast forward 13 years, um, child abuse is worse in New Zealand and violence by children against teachers, against each other at schools is worse. So by not appropriately disciplining children, the whole problem seems to have got worse according to the research you found. Yeah, uh, what they would say is that, and what the research has found is that um, about half of parents, and we've found this with our own polling, half of parents flout the law, they ignore the rule because the fact is they want to raise good kids so they're still smacking their they're still smacking their kids in in defiance of the law, yeah, risking being criminalised for disciplining their children in a non abusive way. Yeah, forty percent of young mums uh, still smack their children, uh, and and we're only you know we're not talking about parents who wake up every morning and look for an excuse to give their kids a wallet. We're talking yeah. about parents who are judging up. Okay, what works best for this particular child? How old are they? Gee, does time out? Do they really hate? I mean, my kids. All I had to give one of my daughters, I just had to give her a look and she was compliant. Uh, mm. Another one hated time out, hated being isolated from the social goings on. So that was effective. Uh, one of them would just look at uh, my wife in the eye and say, your smacks don't hurt me, uh, you know, which you never say to, <laughs> to a parent. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there was that defiance. So certain techniques work for certain kids. And, that, and that's where I think Helen Clark was right. She talked about defying human nature by banning something that is used by parents. And let's face it, um, you know, 40% may not seem that much. You may think, oh, well, it, you know, they were trumpeting it and saying, oh, well, it's dropped to 40%. Look, if you banned time out, um, then that would drop as well. The question is, and this is a question that the researchers are not asking, is is the law having the desired effect of reducing child abuse? Yeah. 
is it helping parents raise law-abiding, self-controlled kids? The evidence we would suggest is there's no evidence that that's happening. Yeah, so, so everything's got worse. Um, child abuse has got worse by banning smacking and then violence of uh, committed by children on other children and even teachers has got worse. Um, so, so it makes you wonder. This this has been a futile social experiment, it would seem, over the last um, thirteen years. Have have um, parents actually fallen foul of this law and been prosecuted for smacking their children? Yeah, they have. We've uh, also documented cases, and you know the argument is that no parents has been prosecuted. That's not true. Um, we've actually got a website which just shows these cases called protectgoodparents.nz and you can actually see the cases. But see, it's not just the police because in some ways you're better off if the police go after you because you get your day in court. The problem is when social services go after you and they're unaccountable and they don't, you don't have your day in court and families have, have had kids ripped away from home based on allegations. You know, they say, oh, um, Parents aren't going to get in trouble. Well, it depends. Depends whether the child goes to school and tells the teacher or the social worker or whether the next door neighbour looks on. Uh, you know, so uh, this, this statement that nobody's going to be affected by it, nobody's going to be prosecuted, that's mm. wrong. We actually got a leading public lawyer uh, specialist to examine the law and the effect. And she said, and it's the name of my second report that we wrote on a, a dog's breakfast, uh, John Key at the time, said the law was a dog's breakfast because it really doesn't say clearly to parents whether smacking is banned or not. See, because here's the interesting thing, Lyle, you can give a child a smack on the backside or hand to uh, prevent bad behaviour, but you can't do it to correct bad behaviour. So, right. uh, so run out on the road, you can give them a smack to prevent the bad behaviour, but if they've already run out on the road, they got to the other side and you go over and tell them off, you can't give them a smack as correction. I mean, that's the type of dog's breakfast we're dealing with. Here. It is because surely the idea of appropriately and non-abusively smacking a child is to instill in them self-discipline so that they won't run out on the road in the first place. Um, Bob, I remember when this debate was happening uh, in New Zealand, uh, it inevitably was raised in Australia. We're going back to 13, 14 years as as you said, and in the state of Queensland, where I'm from, uh, the then Premier, Labor Premier Peter Beattie and the then opposition leader Lawrence Springborg were both asked about what was going on in New Zealand and um, they said, look, we're not going to ban smacking in the state of Queensland. We, we both smack our kids. And, and that just ended the debate straight away when you had both the opposition leader and the Premier <laughs> saying, this is ridiculous. You know, it goes to your Helen Clark comment. It's against human nature. Of course, parents need to not abusively uh, exercise this sort of discipline of their children. And this was, I actually did a um, section in the report on Austra comparing it to Australia and saying, okay, you've got Australia who hasn't banned smacking and you've got New Zealand who has banned smacking and guess what, our child abuse rates still outdo you. I mean, we beat you at rugby, but we also <laughs> beat you at child abuse. <laughs> I knew that if I put you on a platform like this, Bob, rugby would come up. Thank you for reminding us of that. Um, but, look, in all seriousness, your point is is absolutely right. Um, this seems to be more virtue signalling by the crazy 
you know, I'm going to use the political term left because these things are driven, sadly, uh, often by the left. And it's part of this anti-family agenda that we've seen over over the last several decades, which, which I know you're fighting so valiantly there in New Zealand. Bob, Bob are you optimistic about the future? I mean, we, we see, you know, evidence ignored continually, as, as you do when you put this research forward. Um, what, what do we do? Do we just keep putting forward the facts as you do in the hope that eventually things will turn around? Well, I think part of the problem, you said that it's the left pushing this, but part of the problem is that the right are asleep at the wheel yeah. and uh, they really need to take some concrete pills and harden up um, sit back. And unfortunately, the Conservative, the national government sat back on this issue. They're not willing to tackle it. They're scared of the media. They're scared of the rabid left. Uh, and and it is our silence that, you know, we are in the majority, but we're going to become the minority if we don't start speaking up. So, uh, you know, my answer to, to, is to your audience is, look, we've got to start entering the debate. We've got to start putting up these facts. They can't argue against the facts. All they can push is ideas and nice sentiments and, and warm fuzzies. But when you put the evidence in front of them, it's it's hard for them to deny. But we've just got to keep pushing the facts. We've got the facts on our side. And I think people understand. And that's why, even though it's an illegal activity, parents are ignoring it, which just shows the kind of respect for the law. That was a, a statement that I always said to the proponents of this law. I said, if it's such a good idea, why can't you persuade uh, a majority of New Zealanders to support mm. it. They can't, yeah. and they won't be able to. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Um, Bob, this is a really important discussion. I'm so glad you've taken the time to to come on the show today because as Australians, we are watching what, what seems to be a big social experiment going on across the Tasman Sea. Your Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, uh, seems to be a creature of the hard left. It, it would seem like things are only going to get worse in New Zealand uh, whilst that sort of an administration uh, is there. They ignore the facts. Um, and uh, I guess in having you on today, I, I, I guess I'm wanting to try and help educate uh, my audience and Australians uh, that um, we, we really need to um, avoid going down the path that uh, that New Zealand's going down. And, and, you know, that's sad for you, but uh, we've, we've got to somehow try and, um, you know, stop this trend and, and it's by education by having discussions like this because I know this smacking debate will will certainly come up in Australia again sometime soon. Yeah, and, you know, look, I um, I wouldn't like to say that New Zealand is worse than Australia because I've actually just received my copy of uh, the book Cancel Culture by uh, Donnelly and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's got, um, um, it's got uh, contributions by uh, Tony Abbott and others. So that's my uh, reading for this week. Um <laughs> I think the, the values uh, are being shared across the Tasman, unfortunately. Um, it's just that your Prime Minister uh, seems to have a slightly stronger anchor, um, which is, you know, reasonably pleasant to watch, but he's up against it. So uh, He is, and, and um, look, it's certainly the speech he gave recently about identity politics and cancel culture is encouraging, but uh, as you say, he even he's up against it, and uh, this is an incredible um, force that we're fighting this woke uh, cancel culture aided by the media and um, absolutely I mean there were some stats just out of New Zealand just over the weekend which I've been highlighting which says that um, a half of New Zealanders don't trust the media and in fact over 90 percent of people are sick of uh, the media pushing an agenda in their stories and twisting mm -hmm. stories 
it's it's the the loss of trust in the media is yeah. is quite shocking. But it's well deserved. The media have worked very hard to be treated with disrespect. Well, that's encouraging, Bob, because even though those that hold the levers of power in New Zealand and, and Jacinta Ardern, probably one of the world's most leftist, wokest uh, leaders, um, down at grassroots level, their common sense still exists. And uh, I'm sure that's in no um, uh, small part to the work that people like yourself are doing. You are one of the most courageous men in that country. And uh, I hope more and more voices raise up to help you. Bob McCroskey from Family First New Zealand, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Lyle Shelton Show today. Good to be with you, Lyle. Well, that's it for the Lyle Shelton Show for this week. But before I go, I want to thank all those who have been praying for me for my move to New South Wales. The CDP team, along with uh, Reverend Niall and myself, have a big task in front of us to revitalise the party and make sure we can retain the CDP's seat in the New South Wales Upper House at the next election. It's so important in these times when Christianity is being aggressively marginalised by our elites that we keep a gracious but strong voice in the parliament. Can I encourage you to get involved by joining us in this mission? You can sign up at uh, my website, lyleshelton.com.au, and I'll make sure I let you know all that is going on in the party and in our quest to bring Christian influence into what is often a very dark place. Don't forget, you can order my book, I Kid You Not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture War, also from my website at lyleshelton.com.au. Well, it's been great to have your company again this week. Until next time, God bless. The Lyle Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lyle Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.